So I first really learned personally about disability, and my wife did, when our first child was born. She started out much too early at 26 weeks instead of 40, and spent the first six and a half months of her life in the hospital. Her name is Nicole, she's 29 years old now, and lives with severe multiple disabilities. That early time in the hospital, uh, they kept her alive, but she had uh, brain hemorrhage, and she had damage to her retinas, and a lot of lung damage. So she lives with cerebral palsy, and uh, she needs to use a wheelchair. She can't use any words to communicate, um, either speaking, and I don't think she understands very many words either. So. So she needs total care. Uh, she lived with us for her first 18 years and now lives in a group home. So those are the things that you would know, well, some of those things you'd know about her right away if you met her, that she lives with significant disabilities. But if you get to know her a little bit, you also recognize, and I'm not just bragging on my daughter, okay? We're moving into the, the, the topic of the sermon here. But you'd find out that she has some important gifts, too. And that's really what I want you to think about tonight, is that it can be so easy if somebody has a stroke, or if they lose their eyesight, or if they live with a physical disability, to think, well, they don't have anything to contribute anymore. When the truth is that as God is working through people, whoever we are, we have important contributions to make within the body of Christ. So, Nicole loves music, and she loves to worship. So uh, it, I, I, now I was sitting in the front, but it didn't seem like Faith Church is a hand-raising kind of church. And, and neither is the church where my wife and I go. However, Nicole doesn't think about that at all. If she wants to put her hands up in the air, she does. And once in a while, and this is definitely not like our church and probably not like yours, a few times, well, one of the songs we started singing was, what? Can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we started singing that, and those are, you know, old, familiar uh, words, so you may not think that much about them as you sing them, but she put her hands in the air and she went, woo, And then all of us were brought home to the beauty and significance and power of those words that nothing but the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from our sins. And she was the one who was the leader in that, who is so limited from a human perspective. She also is great at living in the moment. Some people pay thousands of dollars for mindfulness classes. She doesn't worry about the future. She has no regrets about the past. She's just right there in the moment. And it's beautiful. So those are just a few examples that I want to kind of get your mind thinking and wrapping your head around this whole idea about everyone having an important contribution to make in the body of Christ. So let's continue thinking about that in terms of life and what, what makes a life important. What makes your life worth living? What you do? Your independence and freedom to choose, your will to live, whom you'll marry, how many children you'll have, what kind of job you'll pursue, where you'll spend your winters. The thing about all those, of course, is that they're very fragile. Our work can suddenly stop because of a layoff. 
Financial worth is dependent on all kinds of factors beyond our control. Our potential declines as the years that we have lived are going to be longer than the years that we know that we'll still live. Even a warm smile can be changed by a stroke or by Bell's palsy. Or a sense of independence is shattered when a loved one dies and we realize how much we needed him or her. So there are lots of human measures we use to gauge human worth, but humans have an intrinsic value that nothing can take away. Nothing. When God created people with this intrinsic, inherent value, he made it layoff-proof, recession-proof, stroke-proof, accident-proof, even, in an appropriate sense, even sin-proof. And that's from Genesis chapter 1. So I'll read just, uh, just three verses for you from Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28. You know, of course, the creation story. God gets to the very end, the last thing and most important that he creates. God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over fish in the sea, birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves along the ground. And this is the word of the Lord. So human beings are made in the image of God, and that means that we are different from the rest of creation. God exists, so does a rock. God is life, so does a daffodil. God created beetles, and adult beetles can create baby beetles. God thinks. Even chimpanzees can think. And even though every grain of sand and every tree and every elephant is a little window through which we can get a glimpse of God, Genesis tells us that there is nothing else in all of creation that is made in God's image. Only human beings. And that being and made in God's image is about relationship. It's about relationship. Human beings are really good at a lot of things, creativity, adaptability, thought, action, better than any other species on earth. But the Bible tells us that what we do is second to who we are, to God's relationship with us. Out of all creation, God said about people, I want to be their friends. We're not merely robots that were programmed to do something. God created us to be his friends. And so God also gave human beings the potential to choose to love him or to reject him because God said, I'm creating these people in my image. I'm creating them to be my friends. We are special to God. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, name three different ways or 
the way it's, those passages are structured show three different ways that we are special to God. First of all, as I, as I highlighted a moment ago, Genesis 1 tells us that God created humans last. And that placement in the creation order is Scripture's way of saying that people are the pinnacle of creation. Once God made people, God was finished. And it was very good. And then God rested. Second, the term itself, image of God, tells us that human beings are special. So when the Bible was first started to be written down 3,500 years ago, a human king was said to be made in the image of the gods. And in that day, only the kings were said to be the image of the god. But God inspired the authors of the Bible to take that language that at that time was only used about one person in the society, the king, and God inspired them to write that about all of us, that all of us are images of the king of kings. All of us are royalty. And a third way that the scriptures highlight the importance of human beings In Genesis chapter 2, we read that God formed all parts of creation like an attentive and careful gardener. The God is busy planting the garden. And then one part of the garden, and only one, receives the very breath of God. All the rest breathe air, but one creature as the breath of God breathed into it, and of course you know that that was the man. We human beings breathe the breath of God. So these scriptural ways of highlighting and setting humans above the rest of creation led one author to write, it's hard to overemphasize the revolutionary impact of the idea that humans are made in the image of God. Human life is uniquely precious to God, and each person is infinitely valuable to him. This was a powerful idea behind the many differences between the humanitarian laws of the Bible, and especially the Torah, compared to the other cultures of that time. Through the statement, God created man from the dust and breathed the breath of life into him, we can see the amazing paradox that unlike the rest of creation, we are the direct work of God's hand. And unlike animals, we receive our spirit from God himself. On the one hand, we're as insignificant as dust, and yet we bear the imprint of God himself. Certainly, we'll treat each other with respect when we realize that as we see each person, we're looking at God's own handiwork, a reflection of, well, a reflection of God himself. So what do we do with this? Recognize the image of God. Recognize the image of God in yourself. I, wouldn't, I would suggest maybe that all of you want to hang up a piece of paper on your mirror. No matter what you look like, when you first get up in the morning, that little note will remind you that you are looking at the image of God. 
I don't know how you feel about yourself. Some days maybe better than others, some days maybe pretty low. But when God looks at you, he sees a spitting image of himself. Take a good look in the mirror today and gaze at the image of God. So recognize the image of God in yourself. Recognize the image of God in other people. We're experts at noticing differences between people. We size up other people by how we might compare to them, whether richer or poorer, heavier or thinner, pretty or less pretty, more muscular or less muscular. God notices differences too, but he doesn't pay attention to these things. God cares deeply about us because we are made in his image. God looks at every human being, everyone, and says, I have chosen that person as my friend. He or she is made in my image. So I'm, I'm going to invite you to practice that. I'm going to, in a moment, I'll invite you to say something out loud. But I'll do the first line, then I'll, I'll tell you what, what I'd like you to say. So we might look at somebody and say, he uses a wheelchair and I do not. We're both made in God's image. So I invite you, as I go through some of these, to say those words, made in God's image. Somebody might say, I have a mental illness, but she does not. We are both made in God's image. His skin is dark and mine's light. We are both made in God's image. I walk clumsily and she walks gracefully. We're both made in God's image. He makes much less money than I do. We're both made in God's image. She has five children, and I've been unable to conceive. We're both made in God's image. Their daughter has autism. My daughter does not. They are both made in God's image. He is blind, and I can see. We are both made in God's image. We're all made in God's image. So let's apply this in particular to people who live with disabilities. Now, I'd like to, to narrow that or, or give you a better sense of what we mean by the word disability. And, and I'll say just a little bit about the ministry that I lead as well. Um, so when we use that word disability, we use it in, in a broad sense, probably broader than a lot of people think of it. But that includes people with uh, intellectual disabilities, like my daughter who had the brain uh, hemorrhage, or somebody with Down syndrome. Some people with autism have intellectual disabilities. We also are thinking about people with sensory impairments, so people with visual impairments. And I'm not talking about that can be corrected with glasses, but I'm talking about visual impairments that, that glasses can't correct. Or people with hearing impairments. They'll need to use hearing aids, and maybe even still have trouble hearing. People with, with mental illnesses. So some folks with mental illnesses, they go through, a, say, a, a major depression. It's a, a disabling time, certainly. But then after a while, they go into recovery again and can look back on that time and don't go through it again. But other folks with mental illnesses, may, may, it may be something with them their whole lives. They may be in recovery their whole life and living uh, in a healthy way through medication and counseling. 
but it's always with them. And that's especially true, for example, with people with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And then also there are people with various kinds of physical disabilities. So somebody may need to use a wheelchair or a walker, or someone may have a chronic illness that has uh, really made life much more difficult for them, like fibromyalgia. Uh, so um, it could be all kinds of different impairments like this. But another part of it, and this is where we as the body of Christ uh, come into play, and also all of society, but we're thinking, of course, about the church now. So it's these various impairments which in interaction with various barriers hinder people's effective participation. So, uh, to give you an example of that, one time I was talking to a pastor about uh, what our work is about and about these barriers and accessibility, and he, he asked me a question. He said, now, why should we put a ramp on our church and there, you could only get in our church via steps? He said, why should we put a ramp on our church when nobody who attends our church uses a wheelchair? Well, now think about that statement for a moment. Is anybody ever going to come to that church if they use a wheelchair? No. Because the steps themselves say to somebody who uses a wheelchair, you're not welcome here. So that's just one example. There are physical barriers that get erected or the kinds of restrooms that get built, that sort of thing. There are um, communication barriers. Uh, uh, and so it can be helpful. Many churches are installing hearing loops and uh, providing large print bulletins, things like that. There are also barriers of attitude. And uh, there's various ways that we can uh, push people off to the edges uh, if they live with a disability of one kind or another. So for example, someone, this is just a, a lovely example that I heard about, a man who had a stroke. This is not the lovely part. He had a stroke, and after the stroke, he was no longer able to speak. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure I would find that extremely difficult, and I expect you would too. So he felt like he had been written off. But he and his wife did not want to him to have to experience that for the rest of his days that he couldn't contribute to the life of the church. So they put the word out that he would engage in prayer even though he couldn't speak to others, he could still speak to God. So people started to get in touch with them and say, could he please pray about this? Could he please pray about that? After a while, it wasn't just folks from church, but folks from the community who were calling because they found out that he had this prayer ministry and that he was engaged in prayer for people, whoever they might be, and they were keeping lists, he and his wife, of uh, who was prayed for and the results. What a beautiful ministry that began after he lost his ability to speak. God sees each one of us and says, he or she is my friend. God wants us as his people to ask ourselves, how can we reduce the barriers so that each one of us who is a precious image bearer of God can fully engage in the life of the church. 
So I'd invite you to think about a preposition for a moment. And I know most of us didn't really, I was an English major, so I get excited about things like prepositions, but most folks don't. But think about the preposition to. And think about the phrase ministry to people with disabilities. As soon as you say that, it's all one direction. We want to minister to the people at the group home. That's great. It's wonderful to show care. And there are some churches that invite a group home to come and worship every week with them. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. But if they stop there with ministry to the folks of the group home miss out, but so does the congregation. How much better to think about ministry with the men who live in the group home? Because then suddenly we recognize that it's not just one direction, but they also can contribute to the life of the church in their own way if the church is open to that. So that's why I wanted to give you the example at the beginning of my daughter, who even though she's very limited, contributes to the life of our congregation. A healthy church recognizes the gifts of all of its members. And then once we do that, we start to see this double hospitality that can happen. So let's imagine this young woman named Sarah. Sarah has autism. When a church first starts welcoming Sarah into the church's programming and, and involves her, even though there are some challenges that have to come along the way and people in the church have to learn some new ways of interacting with Sarah, Sarah is able to start getting involved with the other kids her age, and with the whole congregation. But then what happens if Sarah starts getting involved and welcomed? Her whole family can feel more welcome as well. And what a beautiful thing that is. And as the church learns to be more welcoming to Sarah and her family, the whole church grows in learning how to be a more hospitable people. What a lovely thing that God can do just by starting small and learning better how to welcome this one person with the challenges that she faces. I heard one person say, uh, wouldn't it be wonderful for families of kids who live with disabilities to be able to say, I look forward to Sunday because Sunday is the best day of the week for our family. There are some families I know that say that because their church has really found a way to engage their kids with disabilities in the full life of the congregation. And the whole congregation benefits and is blessed. But as we think about this, I do want to pause a moment because there is also a couple of warnings in Scripture with regard to the ways that we treat the image bearers of God. That, uh, that phrase, the image of God, doesn't appear much in Scripture at all. But there are two Scripture passages that re besides Genesis 1 that refer very directly to people being maids in God's image, and both of them are warnings. Genesis 9, verse 6, whoever sheds human blood, by human beings shall their blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made humankind. And James 3, verses 9 and 10, 
With the tongue we praise our God and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, brothers and sisters, this should not be. So the flip side of that double hospitality is that if people get excluded somehow, either asked not to come to church, and I've heard stories about that, people who have disabilities who are told, I'm sorry, we don't have anything here for you, you should go somewhere else. Or even if they're not directly pushed out the door, if they're not really welcomed and engaged in the life and fellowship of the church, what are we doing with these image bearers of God? In a way, we're excluding God from our fellowship. God has made us all precious in his sight. So it means then that healthy churches are willing to pay the price to find ways to fully engage folks. So let me give you just a few ideas here. I mentioned barriers. It looks like your congregation, for the most part, has been careful about constructing this building so that people who use a wheelchair can get around and I don't see any way somebody would get up here, but it looks like, for the most part, the rest of the building, somebody could get around quite easily. That's wonderful. So think about barriers of communication, barriers of attitude. What can we do? Well, one of the things that we as a ministry have tried to help congregations think about those barriers is that we have equipped people within the churches that we call church disability advocates and we send them a little booklet and encourage them and give them ideas for helping the congregation think about those issues and until he passed away Jim Decker was the church disability advocate here so uh, so this is an invitation for you since uh, since Jim passed away think about these issues that we're thinking about tonight, and you think, what well, I'd like to help Faith Church to continue on this journey and think about how we can fully engage folks with disabilities and, and think about this hospitality and welcome and engagement. Come and see me afterwards, and we'll have a chat about that. I also would encourage you to think about finding folks who you know who live with disabilities and just engage with them. Um, Let me ask you a question a second. Is, is there anybody who's part of this congregation that you would call a shut-in? Is that true? There are some folks who just, okay, I'm seeing heads nodding, sure. All right, so if they're living with such significant impairments or disabilities that they're not able to come here and worship, those are folks living with disabilities. So think about how do we help them not only by visiting, but are there ways that we can still encourage them? And maybe you're doing that. Maybe you're doing that already, but are there ways that we can encourage them to know that they are still part of Faith Church? An important part, they are still us. They're still us. They're not those folks who are shut in. They're not shut-ins, but they are people who are no longer present in worship, but still a part of us, the congregation. So that's another idea for you to think about. Um, there are a number of us who live with disabilities, uh, about 17 to 20% of the population in North America lives with a disability, about 10% of us with a you know, severe disability. 
There's the one fact that distinguishes people with disabilities from all other minority groups, though, and that is that people with disabilities, uh, any one of us, can join that group at any time. Through an accident or a stroke, or as we get older. In fact, if God grants us life, most of us will live with a disability of one kind or another if we make it to 75 years old. So think about Faith Church. Think about, boy, are we reflecting our community? Is there about 15% or 20% of us who live with disabilities of various kinds? And remember, of course, some are so-called hidden disabilities. There may be those among us who are taking medication for bipolar disorder, but they've decided not to share that with a lot of folks in the congregation. But there are other people with disabilities that we know about. I mentioned the shut-ins that are part of your church. How are we doing? How are we doing in being a warm and welcoming body? It takes some work. It takes some energy. It takes some changes and attitudes. Sometimes it requires money, but, but often not. But we don't do it alone. In this journey of seeing God's image in all people, celebrating God's gifts in each person. God is there with us along that journey. Colossians 1. There's a few verses from Colossians 1 that say, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, of course, we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one perfect image of God. And as we see him, that perfect image of God, then we look at each other. We look at each person, man, woman, child, someone who has significant gifts of one kind, somebody who has some significant limitations, and of course we all have gifts and limitations, but we see that value in every single person. And then this so-called disability becomes much less important because each person is precious, gifted, a friend of God, and a friend among us of the people of Faith Church. Pray that God will help us all to live that way every day.